Okay, so when I was seven years old, like my siblings and I, we started an annual bake sale in the mid of August. And so we sold box brownies, but we claimed that they were an ancient family recipe. And so at that time, I thought that we were amazing and we had all baller mindsets. But now, um, I can really see that it's pretty embarrassing and fraudulent that um, that we did that to everybody. We just sold them fake brownies that were from a box. <laughs> and so like, I can't ever go home to see my parents without one of my neighbors pestering me about my grandma's secret formula. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty embarrassing seeing them <laughs> and talking to them. Hey, I'm Devaney Andre, and I like playing volleyball, the color green, and playing card games for hours. I'm Grace Counts, and I like baking, my dog Sadie, and reading murder mysteries. I'm Emma and I like box brownies, hockey, and cats. Welcome to Modern Story Podcast, episode number seven. Today, we're telling stories about making light out of situations. Let me tell you, Emma. I always wanted to have my own big seller lemonade stand, so even if you were being totally fraudulent about it, I admire you. It was great. We made bank. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> All right, so let's get started with Devaney and her story called When Life Throws Lemons. I have always liked journaling, but I don't know where to put my commas. I'm a sophomore in college. I journaled once when, I, when my granddad got sick, but when I reread it, I was greeted by grammatical error after error. Every time I write my sentences, just go on and on, kind of like my thoughts. Shortly after I got my blue iPhone 5C in eighth grade, I misplaced it under my dresser for three months. The next year, I got my first job at Subway as a sandwich artist. I saved up all my earnings to buy an Apple Watch. This sent me down a never-ending path of pinging my iPhone. Majority of the time, these pings lead me to my iPhone hiding slightly under the couch cushion or in plain sight on a shelf a couple feet away from me. On days when I'm particularly scatterbrained, the pings have led me to look down and see my cracked screen staring up and judging me from my collapsed hand. According to my Apple Watch, during the past two weeks, I have averaged five hours and 32 minutes of sleep each night. Instead of going to bed earlier, I lose hours of sleep while sitting around complaining about how tired I am. I went through this weird phase of placing the word X when talking about people in my past. For example, my ex-coach, my ex-teammate, my ex-high school acquaintance, my ex-best friend. One day, a girl I lived with said, Devaney, you have a lot of exes for never having a boyfriend. <laughs> she was my first ex-college roommate. In seventh grade, my family and I realized I'd been having seizures. I had to give up field trips to the Omaha Zoo and to India, state student council trips, staying out past 9 p.m., having sleepovers, lake days, and everything fun for days of EEGs and listening to doctors say words like levoteracetam, central temporal, myoclonic, or tonic-clonic. I swear at one point they were just telling me their drink orders while giving me contradicting diagnosis. At one point, I had mentally prepared myself for brain surgery, but to my disappointment, that never happened. At the end of my senior year, I was officially diagnosed with benign Rolandic epilepsy. Man, was I glad my seizures weren't cancerous. My grandma grew up working on her family's dairy cattle farm. This sparked her love of cows. Every time I visited, I would see another cow photo or sculpture lining her walls. Another fact about my grandma is that she detested tattoos. She pointed to a people's ink and with a tone filled with resentment would ask, what's that? My grandma died from a stroke a week before this last Thanksgiving. This was my first major loss. 
My two older sisters and I got a Holstein cow tattoo in remembrance of her. Every minor convenience triggers the deepest desire for me to chop or dye my hair. My formal date friends on me, boom, black box dye, misplaced my iPhone 5C. Let's just say my friends called me Dora for a couple months. Sophomore year, after getting clipped by a high V semi-truck while sitting in the passenger seat of my friend's 2013 Traverse, I decided to go blonde. Worst mistake ever. I'm surprised that I haven't started balding from all the hair colors I've tried. My 12-year-old 21 Pilots and Billie Eilish listening to Wanna Be Emo Self would have been especially proud of the dark purple phase. The thing I know least of all is time management. One week, I am three months ahead of schedule, and the following week, I'm failing three classes and missing 333 assignments. I may not know what caused the seizures and may not understand why my amazing grandma was gone so soon, but I haven't dyed my hair in 127 days, and I didn't mess up any commas in this sentence. I thought that was a very good story that you had there. So um, one question that I just like have is, how was your relationship with your grandma? Yeah, so my grandma was like kind of like the center, I feel like, of like everything, like all the gatherings were at her house, like mm-hmm. Christmas, everything. Like no matter where you lived, like you'd always go back to grandma's house. And like growing up, we also lived really close to her. And then we actually moved away um, for like a different education. And then my senior year, my parents moved back. And so like the fact that we had just moved back and like our home was now back where like grandma's house was, it was like so exciting. And then sadly we did lose her. So yeah. that was really rough. And like I said, it was like my first big loss, but you know, I mean, it's brought my family closer in different ways too, so. Nice. Alrighty, my question for you is, why did you decide to get a tattoo in honor of your grandma if she was so, like, anti-tattoos? <laughs> that is, like, the biggest question that I still ask myself. And I remember, like, sitting, like, in the tattoo shop before we got it, and I look at my, like, two older sisters, and I'm like, guys, what? It's <laughs> like, like, and all of us have tattoos. Like, it wasn't our first tattoo or anything like that. And I don't know why, but we all, like, felt so inclined. Like, this is this is great, like, we'll ha- always have a piece of her on us, so it's, like, this weird melding of, like, even though she doesn't like tattoos, like, we all have a tattoo, and we all wanted more, so, like, it was our own way of somehow, like, remembering her in the best way, but, yeah. Nice, nice. Here is Grace Counts and her story called Lockjaw. I open my eyes and I'm laying in the hospital bed with my mom holding my hand. The two things I can think of are, what does my face look like and where's my baby pink hippopotamus? As a nurse walked in the room, she asked, how are you feeling? I wanted to tell her that I felt it, the room felt like the Arctic. I couldn't feel any part of my face and that I had no clue where I was and how I got there. Instead, I just laid there and stared at the nurse. The hospital dietitian came in and went over what I should eat while I'm healing, but the only thing I wanted in that moment was a chocolate milkshake from Snuffy's Malt Shop. I'm so haunted by the amount of protein she told me I needed to have in a day. I barely ate 20 grams of protein on a daily basis. How am I supposed to triple that when I can't even chew? She gave my parents a list of foods that I can try that are full of protein and that I could eat in various stages of the healing process. What do you want to try, my mom asked as soon as the dietitian left. I just shook my head no. You have to eat something to show them that you're able to go home. 
And that's how I found myself being spoon-fed a strawberry banana smoothie on a July afternoon at 16 years old. I never thought begging for braces all my life would lead, to me, lead me to this point. Finding out that I had an overbite slash open bite combination and the only way to fix it was jaw surgery. The next morning, my oral surgeon came in and some other random dude who apparently was his apprentice. I quickly became overwhelmed as they poked and prodded at my face, asking if I could feel anything. Obviously, I'm not going to feel anything if you've numbed my face. Is this what animals in the zoo and the circus feel like? At that point, I was given the okay to go home, and I'd never been more excited in my life, not even when I went on an airplane for the first time on the way to Disney World. Two days later, I became so tired of drinking protein shakes and smoothies for every meal that I desperately made mac and cheese at midnight while everyone was sleeping. I was so determined to eat something that I was willing to sit on the kitchen floor with my dog and my pink capo swallowing mac and cheese noodle by noodle. Wow, thanks for sharing. Um, Grace, how would you say this changed your perspective on this, like the healing process and like going through all that? I think it made me realize that no matter what surgery you have, it's going to be like different for everybody and they're all going to have different mindsets. So like a simple surgery could be like super hard on someone. So it's like make it, made me open my eyes more to that. Yeah. Um, so my question is like, what kind of mac and cheese was it? I believe it was the Kraft Spiral Mac and Cheese. Oh my god, that's amazing. I love Spiral Mac and Cheese. So like, was it worth it? Yeah. Yeah? Was it like super, super good? In the time, yes. But now uh, thinking about that, I was like, wh- why? So like, how long did it take you to eat all that mac and cheese? Probably a solid 30 minutes. Oh, wow. I just Spiral Mac and Cheese. I just <laughs> love Spiral Mac and Cheese so much. <laughs> Emma Sima and her story called A Dagger in the Heart. Um, Emma Sima felt her heart ache as if a dagger struck her in the heart when she saw her mother crouched down in the kitchen, shedding tears saying she couldn't see anymore. Emma had no idea how to respond to a life-changing event. But then when reality set in, um, Emma ran up to her mom asking, Mama, can you see me? Can you see me? And her mother replied, No, my sweet girl, I cannot. The dagger dug deeper into the heart, creating a pain Emma has never felt before. Emma still didn't fully understand what was happening. Like, what was an eight-year-old supposed to think about? Will her life ever be the same? No, she was supposed to think about ponies or Barbies or Scooby-Doo or running outside or something like that. But at this moment, the world felt like a collapsed lung. Emma could barely even breathe and started to hyperventilate from how hard she was crying. She tried to stop, but she couldn't. The river of tears just kept falling onto her hot red cheeks. There was too much going on, and all she could do was just question everything. She questioned her parents if there was anything the doctors could do, like did she do something wrong in her lifespan, that God was upset, Um, was this her punishment, and then like what is going to happen to her mother? Is she even Emma's mother anymore? So everything was really different. She had a mother that couldn't see her grow. She had a mother that couldn't drive her places, and she didn't have a mother that couldn't go to her hockey games and 
watch her play. So Emma started to grieve from the loss of who her mother was before this all happened. Then her grief turned into resentment because she later learned that her mother was bulimic for since like high school and that it was a possible cause due to like the pressure in the eyes from vomiting all the time. So she grew very furious and with the power of anger, she couldn't even look at her mother anymore. Emma blames her. She doesn't want anything to do with her. She refused to help her mother. She refused to talk to her mother. She refused to be in public with her mother because everyone would stare at them and silently judge, which Emma absolutely hated. It was all of her mother's fault. Fast forward about nine years or so, Emma still has some deep, unresolved emotions and thoughts about her mother's blindness, but she has also come to terms with it. She knew that her mother would never be able to see her again and would never be able to see her play hockey, but what she did know was that this was a reasoning and a message from God to give a life lesson. But it still hurts, but Emma Seema can deal with it. But there still is, and always will be, a little piece of that sharp dagger stuck in her heart. Wow, Emma, thank you so much for sharing about like this really trying and difficult time. Um, a question I have for you is, like, I understand that this is like super hard to still like work through and stuff, but mm-hmm. like, is there any way you've like seen this event like positively impacting like your relationship with your mom? Yeah, I would say that it was. Like, at first, I thought the world was, like, ending in a way. Um, But then later on, I kind of saw, like, the good side of it. Like, our family became a lot closer. Like, before, my dad wasn't really in our family much. He was just working. And so then um, he became more involved. So then now I'm, like, super close to my dad. And then also, um, it just, like, made me notice that, like, I want to help other people who have, like, disabilities and stuff. So... So I'm going for a special ed. Wow, that's that's really awesome. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. A question I have for you is, do you think you'll ever be able to, like, fully forgive your mom or, like, reach a place in your life where you think you could? Um, kind of. Like, there are times where I'm just like, there's nothing I can do now. So yeah. just, like, kind of move on from it. But then there are times where I'm just like, I feel like that she kind of, um, put it on herself a little bit but still like unsolved of how exactly she became blind and stuff so I don't know I just kind of live with it and so I would say that like I maybe like 75% forgive her and then like 25% it's kind of still like unresolved and stuff thank you for sharing yeah yeah so what have we learned today, everybody? Um, I think I've learned that even if at the end of the day, I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing with my life, that as long as I try to take things and look at them more positively and just keep doing the things the way that are going to help me, that that's how I'm going to make light out of situations that might be a little difficult to handle at first. Nice, nice. Um, I learned to not take the people in your life for granted because some days... Someday they're not going to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would say that I learned that, like, things happen in our life for a reason, even though that it seems like 
you don't deserve it or you don't even know why. I just think that later on you'll notice why and then you just like look at it more positively like what you said Davini. And life throws you lemons. Make some really good lemonade. Oh, yeah. And then sell it on the street corner for $5. With a box of brownies. Yes. Yeah. That was also, it was crystal light the whole time, not actual lemons. Yeah, so. yeah. So we're both um, frauds. Making money. I guess. <laughs> okay. uh, we would like to thank some people for helping us out on this Modern Story podcast at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks to Professor Chris Schaffner and his teaching assistants for maintaining the podcast studio and giving us access to it. And thanks to the writers and thanks to the people who inspired our stories today. And we should thank each other for our edits. That was yes. very helpful. Very thanks helpful. For with the commas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Look for the next episode of Modern Story Podcast, which is about understanding life's imperfections. And lastly, go tell your parents, grandparents, peers, professors, and friends about Modern Story. Or even your mom's ex-boyfriend, best friend's little brother's nanny's daughter's cat toy about Modern Story. <laughs> <laughs>